So for several weeks, we have been considering the Ten Commandments. And this morning, we come to the Sixth Commandment, a very short reading. And I'll add to that reading some of Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 5. And from those two texts together, we'll have our sermon this morning. But in the way of summary, if you're just joining us or if you've missed a few weeks, let me remind you the big picture of what we're doing. We're being reminded that God has given His law to His church, to His people in the earth. And He has said, this is how you rightly bear my image in the world. So we don't see the Ten Commandments as ten ways to save ourselves. We see the commandments given to God's people when they had already been delivered from bondage in Egypt and now are set free to represent the Lord in the earth. And so it is with us who are in Christ. This law does not save us through the keeping of it. Jesus is the perfect keeper of this law of every single commandment. You and I are the breakers of these laws, but we're called to be renewed by faith and to continue to pursue Him and the reflection of Him in the world through this law. And so this morning we come to the sixth commandment. I'll read also from Matthew chapter 5. Again, give your attention to God's Word. Exodus 20 verse 13, God says to His covenant people, You shall not murder. And then Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're in worship, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift of worship. Again, let's pray. Lord, I simply ask this morning that you would show us our hearts, the reality of who we are in our sin. And secondly, Lord, I ask that you would then show us your heart and the reality of what you have done for sinners like us. Show us fresh and anew, Lord, who we are and who we are in Christ. When we pray it together in Jesus' name, amen. So it's amazing to me, uh, each week when you're working on a sermon, even on the Ten Commandments, how something can pop up in the week that brings what you've been reading, studying, and considering to light. You find out it's just much nearer to you than you knew or would have ever known. So a few days ago, I'm studying murder. 
No, I did not kill anyone. Literally, I didn't kill anyone. Figuratively, I'm confident I did. But I did get a text message from my siblings that said, something's going on back home. Now, I'm from a little small community called White Oak, South Carolina, about two hours from here. Very small community. I mean, we're all kin to each other. Um, It is a small community. And the text message tells me that a body has been found on our family's property. A woman was found in a creek on our property, some hundred-acre property. And SLED, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, called my sister to get permission to go on the property and to, to seek out evidence. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Murder in White Oak, South Carolina... Now, they did apprehend the person. Uh, they, they captured a man from Gastonia, North Carolina, and the woman was from Gastonia, and you may have heard about it in the news. Tiny little town, tiny little ARP community, tiny little family. Murder. Someone taking the life of another. It is a, it is a real thing. It probably feels very distant to all of us. Uh, Some of you perhaps it's come near to, but it is a command. It is number six in the ten of what the Lord has said to His people. And He has said, essentially in my language, my people don't kill each other. That's what God has said to His covenant people. Don't kill each other. Don't unjustly take the life of someone created in my image. And that's what it is to say, Do not murder. Several points for you this morning. A lot of material probably won't cover it all. But the first and simplest point is this. The Lord is the author of life. God has created. God Himself, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, He breathed life into man. He fashioned man in His own image. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, so God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. It is a special thing to be a human being. You're not a plant or an animal. You are a human being in the image of God. And that gives you dignity and value and worth that this world does not recognize. But it is a special and beautiful thing. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being, a living animated being. From dust, from nothing came life. And see, you know that the Christian church has always promoted and protected human life. And this is part of the reason why. It is something to be created in the image of the one true God. Our world says if you're not tall enough, you're not good enough. If you're not smart enough, you're not good enough. If you're not pretty enough or handsome enough, you're not good enough. If you have a disability of some kind, 
You're not as significant. But our God has said, every human being created in His image, He has breathed life into and has dignity and value and worth because He is the author of it. Now some of you who are parents, if your child has drawn a picture, or maybe if they're older, if they've written a poem or a little story, and they've given it to you, you treat it with great value, right? Because your child is the author of it, or the artist of it. I have in my office folders of all my children who have drawn these pictures, whether it was Spider-Man or Batman or a tree or a picture of me or whatever. I've kept those pictures because my children are the authors and the artists of those things. It's special. How much more when the living God, the one true God, who has authored life and is the artist of creation and has said, my image is on the human being, You should feel the weightiness of that. It is something to be created by the author of life. And that is who this God who has given law is. Yahweh is the author of all of life. But you know the story from Genesis well, I trust, that sin has corrupted and perverted all of life. What God has created in creation, our sinful rebellion has perverted and twisted and corrupted everything. That's why in Genesis chapter 4, you have this account of Cain and Abel, where brothers would turn one against the other and squeeze the life out of him. How could that happen to God's creation? It's sin and how sin has perverted that good creation. And now the creatures that God has made, they turn and devour one another. Literally, brother against brother in Genesis chapter 4. Or in our opening reflection reading from Genesis 9, you may remember that it said that God will demand an accounting for the lifeblood of His people. And it even says when animal takes the life of man, He will demand an accounting of the life taken. Because that life is in the image of God, it says. So sin has corrupted that now brother will turn against brother. Sister will turn against sister. Family members will sue each other. Family members will say the hardest of things. I wish you had never been born. Right? That's what it is for creation to turn against one another. And it's in our hearts. It's in every one of our hearts. Sin has corrupted and perverted all of life. Genesis 6, 5 and 6 actually just verse 5, says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and get this, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now, as you consider your own heart, you know, the American way is to say, I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect, which is to whisper to one's self, but I'm close, right? Or I'm not off by much, or I'm not as bad as my neighbor. But do you see what Genesis 6, 5 says? It says, the Lord looked down from his throne in heaven at his creation. He examined the hearts of man, and he saw that every inclination of his heart was only evil 
all the time. There are no other possibilities. Only evil all the time. Only evil all the time. That is how sin perverted and corrupted every one of us is. And that's why we're really not surprised when we see in each other the shortcomings that we have, the sinfulness that we have. Now, if we're naive and foolish, we'll be surprised by the morning news every day. What? Somebody killed somebody? What? Somebody got angry and did this? No, 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 no. Every inclination of the human heart is only evil all the time. Some is way more perverse than others, but we fall short in everything. That's our doctrine of humanity. That's a biblical doctrine of sin and of humanity. Perhaps you've been thinking too highly of yourself. Perhaps you've set a standard for a spouse or for a child that needs to be redefined. But the Bible says we really are that corrupt. We really are that lost. We really are that much in need of a Savior. Sin has corrupted us. We are only evil all the time. But God gives His law to His covenant people, and it says that God's redeemed people are not to murder the image of God. We are not to unjustly snuff out the life of one another. I don't have time to go into this, so I'll just say it. Murder is not the taking of plant or animal life. That's not murder. When we cut the grass, we're not murdering the grass. When we weed eat, we're not murdering the weeds. Those things are not created in the image of God. As wonderful as our pets are, our dogs and and those blessed cats, can't murder them. Can't murder them. Not in the image of God. Murder is not the taking of plant and animal life. Genesis 1, 29-30, Genesis 9, verse 6, Romans 13, all passages about this. That's really a whole other sermon, so I don't want to get into those details. But what murder is, according to Scripture, it's the unjust taking of human life. And we don't have to look far for this. We've seen it already in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. That's the story of it. Here's another brief one from Exodus chapter 2. Moses, Moses of all people. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. Remember, they're in bondage and slavery to Egypt. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, a Jew one of his own people, and looking this way and looking that way and seeing no one watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Moses, the one who would receive the law later, is a murderer. David, King David, a man after God's own heart, a murderer of Uriah. and We'll learn more of that probably next week. Murder is the unjust taking of human life. Now, there's another sermon to be preached on the just taking of human life, on just war and on just punishment. These are real categories. I don't know where you stand on those. I think the Bible has those categories for us, that there is a just taking of human life. But that's really another sermon. 
What I really want to focus on from here on, not believing that probably you are going to stab, choke, or shoot people in your future, literally, I want to talk about and apply Jesus' words for how you and I figuratively stab, choke, and shoot one another. And how Jesus says that is a kind of murder. In Matthew chapter 5, the passage, the second passage that we read, Jesus said, you've heard that it said you should not murder, but I say to you. Now he's not contradicting the written law of God. He said, you heard what, that it was said. What he's really doing here is contradicting the oral tradition and what the Pharisees had said that the law was and how they had added on to it. So Jesus takes it right to the truth of the law. And the truth of the law is we murder people in the image of God with our anger, with our words, with our gestures, and with our thoughts. And this is where I want all of us to be very honest in the examination of our own hearts. Whether you're very young or whether you're very old, we are murderers. We break this law. You know, if you came in and saw that we're talking about murder today, the little part of you that's like, whew, I'm off the hook, I haven't done it. Well, this is where Jesus says, every one of us, we are murderers of the image of God with our words, with our thoughts, and with our gestures. So let me flesh that out. Comedian George Carlin has the line, Have you ever noticed when you're driving your car that whoever is driving slower than you is a moron, and whoever is driving faster than you is a maniac, right? Okay, that's me when I'm driving. I'm not going to hide it. I'm going I'm to confess it. I can't go to Walmart without murdering the people around me in my thoughts. Maybe with my words, certainly with my thoughts, but not my gestures. Um, there are hand gestures that are all around us. I'm pretty good about abstaining from that. But my thoughts and sometimes my words out loud, I am murdering people in the parking lot of Walmart because they're in my way and they're too slow. And I trust that you know what I'm talking about in some way, some form. Maybe it's not Walmart, maybe it's somewhere else. But everybody who's slower than me is a moron. And everybody who's faster than me is a maniac. That's what my heart says. George Carlin sums it up well. And that shows us the inclination of our heart. We really think that we're here and these people have no worth, no value. Get out of my way. It's my time that matters, not yours. When I drive around in my car, I listen to different things. Sometimes a podcast, sometimes music. Probably more frequently in the fall, it's sports talk radio. And they've now taken this, this show off, but I believe it was on Mondays, Monday afternoons, after a weekend of college football. The radio station I listened to used to have something called the Hater Hotline. Maybe some of you have heard of this or remember this, but literally what it was was after a weekend of college football, when this person would host their show, they would have the Hater Hotline. And that was for all the disgruntled fans who were just fed up 
with their coaches, with their offense, with their defense, whatever it is, they could call in and leave a message that would be played on the air where they could conceal their identity. They didn't have to say who they were, but they could blast by name players, coaches, decision, anything that was done. And it was literally called the hater hotline. I want you to think about that for a moment. You know what it is to vent. You know what it is to unload. And it can feel really great for just a minute or just a moment. And so this entire concept of let's let people call in, let's let your average fans call in and by name just hate on the sports issues that have disappointed their weekend. And it was a raging success. And I'll admit it was funny to listen to sometimes. But what is it doing but exposing the human heart that we love to vent, we love to verbally stick it to somebody, right? It feels good for a moment. And I suppose that maybe literal murder feels good for a moment for the murderer. But probably in the same way, it's chased with some sense of, oh my word, what have I done? But to release that anger, to vent that anger from your heart just for a moment feels good. And you've done that with your words. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, the stories of road rage. Um, I feel like you don't hear about it quite as much, but in the news, stories of road rage where somebody will make somebody mad on the highway or the interstate, they will slam their cars, they will shoot people, they'll stop and have altercations. It's a real thing. Road rage. And it exposes the human heart. It shows who we are. And those of you who are younger, you're not off the hook either. There's this thing called video game rage, right? Kids who go nuts in anger, bursts of anger when playing video games. And TVs are broken and walls have holes in them and controllers are smashed. And it exposes the human heart. It's like a ticking time bomb just waiting to go off. That's the nature of anger in our hearts. Galatians chapter 5, I don't have this passage, but listen to what is said in Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the Apostle Paul. And in that long list of things, some of which just sound horrible, is fits of rage, fits of anger, unbridled anger. Picture fists through drywall kind of anger. Red-faced explosion of words upon a person. The Apostle Paul says such a heart has no place in the kingdom of God. It's not how God's people are to live. 
And yet you and I know what it is to have red-faced anger, loud words, maybe even fists through drywall, at least slam cupboards and slam doors, right? It's who we are. There's something very wrong with the human heart, and none of us is off the hook, whether we are very young or we are very old. The Lord God looked down from heaven and saw that every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. That is how bad the situation is for every one of us. But God's Word says, if God's people have God's view of human life, the implications of this are going to be far-reaching. Okay, So if murder is not just the physical extinction of life, if it includes our words, our thoughts, our gestures of anger and hatred, oh my goodness, there are all kinds of implications for what it means to break the sixth commandment and how we need to guard and keep ourselves from the ease of breaking the sixth commandment. It means there are implications for families, for friends, for how we deal with our enemies, and even how we deal with strangers. Because we're to be the people of God who protect and promote human life. Anywhere that life is threatened, we're supposed to intervene and protect to honor the image of God in people. We do it with our family. We do it with our friends. We should even do it with our enemies and our strangers. Let me give you a few examples. This means that we should protect our friends, families, strangers, enemies from foolishly taking risks of human life. And i got to tell you, there are all kinds of examples of folly and foolishness when it comes to human life. There's examples of of death by selfie. People literally dying while taking selfies, pictures of themselves with their cell phones. And parents of teenage drivers, you know what I'm talking about. Not just take a selfie, but get off your phone when you're driving, right? The United States Department of Transportation estimated in 2014, so this is several years ago, the so-called year of the selfie, that 33,000 people were injured while driving and using a cell phone. And so parents tell their children and try to tell themselves, don't look at your phone, right? Protect human life. That's why we say that. You have one life. You're in the image of God. Protect it. Put your phone down. Don't take pictures of yourself. And it's in the news. People falling over cliffs trying to get the perfect selfie, right? Um, Crazy examples. But we're like, no, no, no. You have one life. You protect it. You're in the image of God. I've also noticed in the news stories of people poisoning themselves foolishly. Because a teenager, okay, so the Tide Pod Challenge of a couple of years ago, you remember this? Some teenager posts on social media, hey everybody, take the Tide Pod Challenge, take the detergent in the little gelatinous cube and eat it. And it says in 2018, 86 teenagers were self-poisoned when they purposefully ate Tide Pods the laundry detergent capsules, because of that challenge on social media. And we look at that and we're like, you have one life. 
You're created in the image of God. And because another teenager posted something on social media about eating, poisoning yourself, and people did it. 86 people did it. We have a higher view of life, the preciousness of life, the value of life. In 2017, a 20-year-old female college student at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut, died as a result of a sorority pancake-eating contest. Eating pancakes can kill you. You have one human life. And so kids, students, young people, you're tired of your parents telling you to be careful. Tired of them saying, be safe. You know, and your parents are saying, wear your seatbelt. Put your phone down. My kids have heard me for years say things like, hit the squirrel, hit the deer, don't hit the tree. Right? The tree can kill you. God can make another squirrel. God can make another deer. But think, you have one life. And the protection of life and limb, God has told His people to treasure it, to cherish it. And so we have this high view of life and the protection of one another. In 2019, a 41-year-old man, seven minutes into a taco-eating contest, died. And an autopsy determined that he did, in fact, choke on tacos. I mean, is that what you want your obituary to say? Lived a great life and then choked on tacos. We have a high view of human life. We cherish it. It's precious. We tell our children, we tell ourselves, we tell our spouses, we tell our aging parents, hey, be cautious and careful. God has said that His people treasure life. And so we should and so we must. The implications are all kinds in number. Anything that jeopardizes human life and well-being. Let me read. Uh, so, so this is a little unusual for me. I'm going to read Westminster Larger Catechism number 136. And this is how those who came before us summarized the right application of the Sixth Commandment. You remember that very short, thou shalt not kill? Well, this is how we can stretch things out and try to show the implications of it. I wonder what your thoughts are for this. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, forbids the taking away of life by ourselves or of others, except in case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. The neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life, sinful anger, hate, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, did you catch that? This would be a good time to remind you that on October the 31st, we have a barbecue and hymn sing with Jeremy Cassell. But there will be one serving per person. So this just always gets me. You know that I love to cook. I love to host. I love a good party. Maybe I should have taken exception to this clause on the floor of Presbytery. Um, how do you define an immoderate use of meat, right? It's listed here, which is to say 
you and I, what we eat and what we drink, we should be taking into account the sixth commandment, that we treasure life. It's precious. It's a gift of God. Therefore, whatever you put into yourself, this commandment has an implication for it, right? That's just pretty jolting to me. And it goes on. Your drink, your labor, your recreations. Some of you like to jump out of airplanes or swim at the bottom of the ocean. Your recreations, right? Provoking words, what you say to people can anger them and make them want to take your life. So you, you should be careful with the words that you use with your neighbor. Oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else tends to the reckless destruction of human life. Now, some of you are hearing all this and you're like, that's crazy. You're just supposed to not murder people. But I think this is a faithful application of the implications of what it means to have a high view of human life being a gift from God and that we protect it, we promote it, we treasure it, we defend it. The sixth commandment may mean far more than you and I have ever considered. And our breaking of it, we may have just realized, wow, I've been living recklessly, speaking recklessly, wounding people, angering them. I am a lawbreaker more than I even knew. Which was the point of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, well I say to you, if you are angry in your heart towards your brother, you are a murderer. The implications would include euthanasia, abortion, Suicide, overindulgence, overworking, not resting, intense anger-reactive explosive behavior in you, gossiping and slandering and angering of your neighbor, holding grudges and failure to have conflict resolution with others. All of these things are at the very heart of honoring the sixth commandment and the author of life. Have you thought about it that way before? I think that's a right application. And I think every one of us is very guilty, myself included. So in closing, what does any of this have to do with Jesus? Well, I came to church this morning wanting to hear about Jesus, and all I'm hearing about is murder. Well, I would put it this way. Remember, Jesus is the perfect keeper of the law. In every ten of the commandments, remember the commandments serve as a kind of a mirror that show us who we really are. And we also, in the ten commandments, see Jesus embodied as the perfect law keeper. If you want a verbal description of Jesus, the ten words, the ten commandments, paint a portrait of who He perfectly is. And they point a portrait of who we imperfectly are. And so I would say that in Jesus, He is that one who was unjustly murdered by us, by sinners. He was murdered. He was put to death wrongly, an unjust death. And He turned His cheek to those accusers when He was struck. And now he says, we're to turn towards him in faith and trust him. 
confessing our own murdering hearts. We can't get worship with our brother right, just like Cain and Abel. We are murderers through and through. And we look to the one who was unjustly murdered as unjust murderers. And we ask him for forgiveness. Our older brother Jesus, who perfectly kept the law for us. That's, that's one way in which the sixth commandment points us to Jesus. We're the murderers. And he was murdered. And now we look to him in faith for the cleansing and forgiveness of our murdering hearts. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks that when you show us our sin, you always show us our Savior. And so we would confess to you the anger of our hearts, the explosive anger of our words, our thoughts, our gestures. It's really in every one of us. The kindest one in our midst, the sweetest soul in our midst, is a murderer in thought, word, and deed. But Lord Jesus, He came for sinners like us. And in Him we find our hope. In Him we find our forgiveness. In Him we find newness of life and the hope of being conformed more and more into His image and less and less like the world in which we live. Lord, do that in us, we ask and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.